This is episode 21 of the Angry Tech News Podcast for Tuesday, February 1st, 2022. This is the Angry Tech News Podcast at angrytechnews.com. Now your host, the angry programmer with a mic, Brian Bemrose. Last week's Activision story was just one of those that brought out the comments. It brought out quite a few about aspects of the story that uh, people claim that I missed or just didn't cover. One line from my early notes on the story simply read, quote, respond to meta, a line which confused me a lot when I was subsequently writing up the show. Metadata? Was there a meta story that I was supposed to respond to? I wasn't real sure, so I dropped it. After recording and publishing the show, producer Progo posted to Mastodon how it looked like Microsoft was trying to get in front of Facebook's metaverse concept, an idea and name that they ripped off from author Neil Stevenson, and I finally realized that's what the cryptic respond to meta line from my notes said. World of Warcraft is one of the closest real systems we have today to Stevenson's imagined metaverse a massive multiplayer world populated by people piloting their avatars, tunes, and by daemons, NPCs. One aspect of a VR metaverse not present in WoW is the ability to modify the game world to suit one's individual taste, such as in, say, Second Life. But Microsoft also owns Minecraft, another extremely popular multiplayer game where that kind of world editing is a core mechanic. Depending on where Facebook goes with their currently vaporware metaverse concept, it is conceivable to see Microsoft respond with some sort of Warcraft-Minecraft hybrid in an attempt to achieve the one true metaverse first. Producer and fellow podcaster Cold Acid also pointed out that the Activision Blizzard acquisition is only a proposal at this point and still needs to face regulatory scrutiny before it becomes official. While that is technically true, I didn't report it because I don't expect that to change the outcome of the purchase in any way. American regulators have been asleep at the switchboard for decades when it comes to the consolidation of huge megacorporations, and Microsoft, who has savvied up significantly in the regulatory space since their nose-thumbing days of the late 90s, will have certainly spread enough money inside the Beltway to grease their way through any hurdles. European regulators are, of course, a different topic. Armed with a GDPR-shaped cudgel and a heady on their perceived authority over foreign corporations invading their land with highly sought-after technological gizmos and services, the EU will likely raise objections. But considering that both Microsoft and Activision are American companies, it's not clear what, if anything, they could do to stop the merger. More likely, they'll assess some symbolic multi-billion dollar fines because privacy, that Microsoft will dutifully pay directly into a Brussels slush fund from which the European citizens will derive zero measurable benefit and the European politicians will de derive some much-needed virtue signaling. And in one of my favorite new theories about the Activision purchase, favorite as in entertaining, even if not necessarily probable, comes from Anthem AK, also on No Agenda Social, who points out, that the company's stock hit an all-time high of $106 in February of 2020. But not long after, the stories of internal harassment started breaking, tanking the stock just in time for Microsoft to swoop in with a generous offer of only $95 a share. 
in the words of Captain Renault, I'm shocked, shocked to find that gambling is going on here. From the, seriously, there were only three Mac games department. As long as we're still on the topic of AAA gaming studios being gobbled up by huge tech megaglomerates, I may as well mention that Sony has agreed to purchase Bungie for $3.6 billion. That's not much compared to the Activision purchase, but it's still a lot for a studio that really only has three game franchises. Marathon, which consisted way back in the day, late 90s, of three of the best games ever released for the classic Mac OS. Also, three of the only games ever released for the classic Mac OS. And Halo, the wildly successful first-person shooter that put the Xbox on the map and which Bungie sold to Microsoft after three installments, presumably out of a crippling fear of continuing to print money. And finally, Destiny, a highly ambitious experiment in releasing an MMO without any content. Statements from Sony representatives assure us that Bungie will continue to operate autonomously and that its games will remain cross-platform, at least as long as it takes for gamers to forget that they said that, after which the games are certain to become exclusive to the PlayStation platform, according to unnamed sources. Given the average attention span of a video gamer, expect that promise to be broken sometime next week. From the Your Soul's in Danger department, our security story this week continues the theme of video games. Stories surfaced last week with the discovery of a remote code exploit in From Software's Dark Souls 3, which was released in 2016 and is still the most recent game in the Souls series, which enjoys a cult following among players who hate themselves and enjoy expressing their masochism through stupidly difficult video games. The exploit in DS3's netcode requires no player interaction, merely connecting to an online server achieved by launching the game with an active internet connection is enough to leave a PC vulnerable. An attacker who successfully exploits the bug can run arbitrary code at the user's permission level, including launching and installing programs or deleting user data. The user who discovered the vulnerability has reportedly tried multiple times to contact from both directly and through the game's publisher, Bandai Namco, as far back as 2019 and as recently as this December and received no response. The issue suddenly came to the forefront when the hacker took over a Twitch streamer's computer during a live stream of a DS3 play. Live Twitch viewers got to watch the streamer's game crash, several PowerShell windows open up, and Microsoft's text-to-speech generator suddenly start talking to him, trolling his gameplay. Because the game uses the same engine as its predecessors the net and the networking code hasn't changed very much in the last several releases, it has been suggested, although not really confirmed by the company, that the exploit is also present in Dark Souls 1 and 2. It has also been suggested that it is probably going to be present in From's next game, Elden Ring, which is scheduled to release later this month. Multiplayer servers for all three Souls games have been shut down and players are urged to disconnect their internet if they wish to launch the game in single-player mode. The company acknowledged the bug reports, but has not released a statement on the bug, so it is currently unknown if the vulnerability will ever be fixed or if the multiplayer services will ever be restored. From the Text Imitating Life Department on the light side of the news, Apple has released images of the next batch of emoji to hit an SMS stream near you. Are young people today still using SMS or has it all gone to 
TikTok or Instameta or Wiener Chat or whichever corporate controlled walled garden has the flashiest UI and the most unconscionable privacy policy. The first new emoji people are talking about is the lip bite. A pair of lipstick lips with teeth lightly biting the lower lip. This one is versatile. It can re represent anything from sexual arousal to auto cannibalism. Actually, those are the only two meanings I can think of. At least that poor zucchini emoji will finally get some much needed time off. The next one is the melting face, useful for both psychedelic trips and robot uprisings. There's also, yeah, okay, never mind. Bored with this story already. Seriously, let's just finish the list for the two people who both listen to this podcast and unironically use emoji in their communications. There's palms pointed up, palms pointed down, some beans, beans, a lotus flower, a military salute, a hand held up in some sort of, I don't know, maybe that's a gang sign or something. If not, it will be soon. A pregnant woman. And finally, the emoji that turned this into so much tech news that even I felt contractually obligated to mention it. A pregnant man. Because Apple is from the left coast where human biology is no match for inclusiveness. Actually, never mind. Looking at it again, that emoji is plenty inclusive of American men. The type who've had too many evenings swilling beer in front of the boob tube. Yeah, come to think of it, I've met a lot of men who look like this prego emoji. Okay, Apple, you get a pass this time. From the you wouldn't download a text file department. While teaching an algorithms class, Dr. Emily Dolson, an assistant professor at Michigan State University, packaged up a set of sample files for her students and uploaded them to Google Drive to share with the class. Her benevolent Google overlord saw fit to bless this act of sharing for all of the files except for the suspiciously named output04.txt, which was flagged by the almighty algo as copyright infringement and held in quarantine while Dr. Dolson was left to contemplate her terrible crime. What dark, unshareable copyrighted data did output04.txt contain? Google may not want you to find out this terrible secret, but Torrent Freak is totally cool with it. The file contained a single character, the digit 1, the expected output, output for one of the class's homework problems. Apparently, due to an algorithm bug in Google's copyright attack dog, it matched the hash of this single byte file to something in its vast library of hashes of copyright works. Of course, Google has released no technical details of what happened, and in keeping with Google's long history of having zero accountability or support whatsoever, there is no way to appeal a copyright strike in your Google Drive. Nevertheless, this story did come with a happy ending. Dr. Dolson did what any self-respecting professional would do and whined about the issue on Twitter. A passing Google engineer happened to spot the complaint and acknowledge the bug with and promised a fix sometime in the unspecified future. As an engineer myself, I understand that bugs happen, and despite our best efforts, some of them make it into production. When a bug causes a rendering error or an incorrect search result, then the standard corporate, my bad, you will usually suffice to smooth things over. We're only human and mistakes happen, yada yada. Google is in the business of censorship, though. This feature is literally designed to frustrate users and prevent them from using the service. Every time it has a bug, it's stomping on somebody's rights. That should require a higher standard of correctness than the usual, oops, sorry, my AI called you a criminal and suspended your account. It's fortunate that in this case, the only victim was the output file from some algorithms homework. 
I know nothing about Ms. Dolson's position on censorship, but being a product of academia, it's possible that she is merely thankful to Father Google for so diligently protecting our fragile brains from harmful ideas. I don't know. I do know that from my time testing enterprise software that for every plaintive tweet that an engineer spots, there are dozens that the engineers didn't spot and hundreds of victims of the same bug who didn't say anything. Google, you can do better than that. Or maybe you can't anymore. Maybe ham-fisted censorship is so ingrained into Google's DNA and culture that they've lost the ability to do anything else. In that case, maybe it's time for us to look into alternate services. Thank you very much to Brian Janak, Rachel Zimmerman, and Christopher Reamer for producing this episode of Angry Tech News. Also thanks to Booberry, Cold Acid, Harry Pilgrim, and Cotton Gin for being the first people to send boostograms to this new, now fully podcasting 2.0 value-enabled show. I hadn't even announced yet that it was ready because I knew there'd be bugs. And these four spotted the donate block in their podcast apps. You can too, assuming you've disregarded my advice to never install apps and instead gone to newpodcastapps.com and downloaded one of the podcatchers listed there. Oh, and while I'm on the topic, I have a huge angry thank you to C-Dubs and Sir Spencer in the Bolo After Bowl community who spent far more time than I deserve to help me debug a Bitcoin lightning node and basically explain to me all of this confusing technology stuff that old guys like me just don't understand. Angry Tech News is produced on the Value for Value model. We don't take sponsors, we don't play ads, and we don't charge you to listen. But we are funded by your donations. If you received value from listening to this show, please send some value back. Go to angrytechnews.com and click the donate button to make a one-time or recurring donation. Send what you think this show is worth to you, whether it's 20 bucks or 50 bucks or more. Or, like I said, download a value-enabled podcast app and start streaming cryptocurrency. That's all for me. I'm Ryan Bemrose, the Angry Programmer. I'll come back next week with more Angry Tech News. This has been Angry Tech News with the Angry Programmer, Ryan Bemrose, at angrytechnews.com. Stay angry. Stay angry. Stay angry. Good day to you. It is time for another Bem rant. So, uh, parking. I gotta admit, uh, I'm starting to realize that anything to do with driving tends to piss me off. It probably means I drive too much. All right. So I've got a few categories here. Vultures, the handicapped, and, well, assholes. So let's start with the obvious vultures. These are the people who would rather spend 12 minutes waiting for a better fucking parking spot than walk an extra two minutes. These are also the people who make parking lots like, you know, Costco completely unbearable. First off, understand I am a fan of Costco. In order to not lose my fucking mind in their parking lots, though, I've created a set of rules for myself. When I pull into a parking lot, I choose a single lane the single lane that I am always going to park in. And that is going to be my 
obvious parking spot, and I always choose the first obvious parking spot. This means that I often park like a thousand feet from the front door, but I've saved myself the headache of searching for a spot and finding my car afterwards, and often I get into the store faster. I've most recently turned this into a kind of a fun game of piss off the vulture. The object of the game is to slow your walk down or slow down your return to your car in order to block that open parking spot that the the vulture is waiting for. Now, this has actually become even more fun now that I have small children because, of course, I can make any excuse I want with the small kids just stop in any vacant spot. And, of course, in case you don't have children, it's always fun to just... uh, Find the person who's uh, loading groceries into their car and uh, talk to them for a minute and just uh, strike up a conversation. Of course, all the while blocking that vacant spot for the fucking vultures. Next, I'd like to talk about the handicapped. First off, I understand there is a need for handicapped spots. Absolutely. One of my closest family friends growing up was a wonderful woman who has unfortunately passed away who was afflicted by the chronic progressive multiple sclerosis if you're not familiar with this it is an absolutely terrible disease i will tell you that our family friend sherry the the one who had ms absolutely needed the closer parking spots that being said fuck you 90 percent of the quote-unquote handicapped people working in the retail environment I've realized that most of the time when I watch somebody park with a handicap tag, I have this debate. It's an internal debate of whether their handicap is uh, a fear of social interaction or their just simple incapability to park a normal fucking car. Did you find some sucker doctor to issue a tag because you're afraid of the other people or because you can't find a a parking spot that a normal six-foot-wide car can park in. You know, by the way, these are nine-foot parking spots, so you need that extra nine feet just in case. I don't fucking understand. And lastly, the assholes. These, of course, are the people I have the least patience for. These are the fuckheads who think that their precious Monte Carlo whatever Chevy car that they have by the way, that's an ugly fucking car, is more precious than your pathetic life and your pathetic patience. First off, if you're going to park in a Walmart parking lot, clearly you are overvaluing your car. Secondly, if you're parking in a public space at all and you don't think it's worth the risk of parking your car next to the common folk, then don't drive the fucking car. If you're not willing to be, be a part of society, then don't be a part of society. And lastly, before I close out, I, I also want to mention backing into a parking spot. Backing into a parking spot is a privilege, not a right. If you can't do this with precision and confidence, then don't do it at all. If, I, if you have to put the car back in a drive before you finish parking, swallow your fucking pride and go to a different spot. On the other side of things, if you see someone backing in, Give them the benefit of the doubt. Don't try to pass them while they're getting out of the way. You're just making it worse for everyone else in the parking spot. Now, as a closing note, I feel like I'm ending this on the same note I've ended multiple rants. 
don't be an asshole.